Good morning. Good morning. Uh, what an honor to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 15, and while you're going there, just to, to put it into something of a context, uh, in chapter 13, Luke tells us that Jesus is uh, with his disciples, and he is visiting through, traveling through, and preaching through uh, various towns on his way to Jerusalem. So here's Jesus. He's going through these towns. He's preaching uh, in the towns. And uh, while it says, Luke says that there's large crowds that are following him and interacting with him, in these chapters, uh, it, Luke seems to be playing on this picture of Jesus's interaction between two very distinct groups of people. Uh, on the one side, in chapter 14, uh, Jesus is eating in the house of one of the religious leaders, one of the Pharisees. And you would think that this is a great honor, but it's not. he is not being honored at all. It says that he was being watched carefully for what he was going to do so that they could try to find something, anything that they could use against him. And uh, then here in chapter 15, uh, Jesus is with this group that Luke calls the tax collectors and sinners. And they absolutely love being with him. They're gathering around him, listening to what he has to say. And that's where we'll pick it up. So if you, if you would, just stand with me uh, again for the reading of God's word. Uh, initially here, we'll just read the first 10 verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. He said, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together. And again, she says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Father, again, thank you for this time that we can come, we can hear your word, we can allow you to speak to us. God, every time that I come to this point, I am so aware that my words are not enough, but your word is always, always enough. So one more time, I just ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would take your word and that you would put it into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives today. Well, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always, you can be seated, I'm sorry. It's always something of a, a, a risk to preach on a passage that's uh, this familiar. Uh, there's a temptation on one side to almost outthink the passage, uh, trying to find some creative new insight to, to bring from the scripture. 
And on the other side, on the opposite side, we can be, have a tendency to, to maybe just zone out on the scripture because we say, okay, I, I've heard this so many times. I know what's coming. I could do this in my sleep. I know what's going to be said. So our prayer this morning is that we be able to avoid either extreme. So when we're trying to keep our balance with the scripture, I think it's always a good question to ask, what was, what was the speaker's point? In this case, what was Jesus's point? What was it that he was trying to get them to understand? And uh, some, things, some things are obvious. Uh, one thing certainly he wanted uh, them to understand was the, the problem of sin, that it is rarely, if ever, accidental, and that it will always, always take everything from us. So uh, let me just ask you a quick question, just, just a quick show of hands. How many would say <clears throat> that sin is really, really attractive and that it seems to have some really good benefits with it? Okay, good. At least I'm not able to trick, trick a lot of you. Okay, <laughs> kind of a trick question. Uh, all of us should have our hand up because it's really true. Sin has an attraction to it. Sin really does have that attraction, and it seems, uh, at least on the surface of it, that there are benefits to us. Uh, just think back to the, the first sin uh, recorded uh, coming uh, to mankind in Genesis chapter 3. You know, here's Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They have fellowship with God every day. And in chapter 3, Satan comes to them. And uh, the only thing that God had said, he said, you can eat of everything in the garden. Just stay away from this one tree. Just, just this one tree. So Satan comes and, and he says, did God tell you you can't eat from anything in this, in this garden? I mean, look at it. It's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And he says, no, no, we can eat from things. Just not, just not this one tree. Can't eat it. Can't touch it. Which was actually adding something on that God didn't say. And, and Satan just kind of goes with it. He says, look, God just wants to keep. He knows this is a good thing. He knows it's a good thing. And he just wants to keep something good from you. You eat that and you're going to be wise just like God. And maybe, maybe he's just wanting to keep this thing for himself because he knows this is a good thing. And it says then that when she saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, there was attractiveness to this thing. It was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. And, and says that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. I do this. There's a benefit to me on this thing. When she saw that it was attractive, when she saw that it had a benefit to it, so she thought, she took it. And she gave it to her husband, and he took it. Sin is always attractive. And it always seems to us to have a benefit, at least in the short run. And the fact is we don't tend to often think very far ahead. We don't look farther down the road to what's coming. We look at the short run, and in the short run, it seems to have a benefit. Uh, if it wasn't like that, then just by default, in our practice, everybody in the world would be saints. Uh, if sin had no attraction, if sin showed no kind of benefits, we'd all be saints by default. 
So if we can take just a, just a brief side trail here, uh, we don't all approach sin, even when we're coming uh, to sin, even when we do sin, we don't always approach it in the, in the same kind of way. Uh, some are like the first parable that we read, like the lost sheep. Uh, how does a sheep get lost? I'm not a shepherd, but from things that I read, a sheep nibbles its way into lostness. It sees this tuft of grass here, and then, and then this one over here, and, and, and then it just gets farther and, and farther away from the flock, farther away from the safety, and, and until finally it can't uh, see the thing, and, and, and it just nibbles its way. And some people are like that with sin. Some people are like that. Just, just one thing that I'll watch, then I'll turn it when it gets bad. Just one time fudging the truth, just, just this once, just to keep myself out of trouble. I just don't want to get in this trouble, and so I'll just fudge the truth just to keep myself out of trouble. Uh, just this one slightly shady deal, and, and uh, I just won't tell the complete truth in it, or I won't give the complete picture of it, and then everything's going to be on the up and up. I, I, I just, I promise, I, just this one one tuft of grass and then they see a, another tuft of grass and they see the benefit in this other tuft of grass and then oh i can't believe i didn't see this one over here and, and we just kind of nibble our way until suddenly we're farther out than we than we ever thought that we would be farther out than we ever thought we would be others are, are like coins uh without trying to stretch the the second parable too much the inference at least is uh, that it was lost through some measure of carelessness or, or, or at least not holding as tightly as, as they needed to for something that had, had great value. And sometimes people come to sin through neglect, through carelessness, uh, not, not being in God's Word. You know, we just, we, we neglect it once, we, we'll come back to it. I mean, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. When we need it, it's going to be there. You know, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the past in, in God's Word, and so we begin to neglect it. The Word that says that I will, I will hide God's Word in my heart so that I might not sin, that protects us from sin, that says, your Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, that helps us make the right decisions. We begin to neglect God's Word. We begin to neg neglect prayer. If you look in the life of David, every time that he sought God on his decisions, he made the right decision. God blessed him. God directed him. Every time that he stopped doing that, he made the wrong decision. So sometimes we, we neglect it. And we think that it's going to be there when we really need it, only to come to the point where we really, really need it. And all of a sudden we realize something's missing. I think some of the most, one of the most tragic phrases in Scripture, it comes in the, the life of Samson. Now, going into the whole thing, we're familiar with the story of Samson and God had made him one of the judges and given him all this strength and he said there's certain things you shouldn't do and Samson just kind of neglects his relationship with God the whole way along, neglecting, neglecting, neglecting. And he goes down this line until in the end, uh, uh, Delilah that he is with uh, finds out the, the real source of his uh, strength uh, in cutting his hair there and she gets him to sleep on, his la on her lap and cuts his hair and it says this when he wakes up it says he awoke from his sleep and thought I'll go out as before and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him wow 
And sometimes we just neglect it and we neglect it and we, and we think it's going to be there, it's going to be there when I come back to it. And all of a sudden we come back and there's something that's missing. Now, in the story of the lost son, and it really should be uh, called the story of the lost sons because there's two sons in the story. But in the story, the, the, the bigger story here, he just said, this is what I want. This is what I want. Let's look in, in verse uh, 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. That would have been a very unusual kind of request at any rate. And we look at it and we think, well, why didn't the father just say no? Sometimes when we come and we ask God for things that could lead us down the wrong direction, why doesn't God just say no? And sometimes he does, but sometimes God grants us what we want just to let us see where our heart really is at. He gives us what we ask for, and he lets us see where, where our heart's at. So he says, not long after that, verse 13, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living, in riotous living. Sin is never by accident. There was nothing accidental about this. This son had thought about this. He had planned for this, and that's how sin works. It starts in our, it starts in our mind. It starts in our thoughts, and then it begins to move to our hearts, and then it comes out in our practice. And so here he, he says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He had no intention, no intention of coming back to the father. He had no intention of coming back home. This is what I want. He was leaping into sin. He, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to be. This looks attractive. It's got benefits. This is where I'm going. And he jumps into it. Sin's never by accident, and it will always take everything from us. A garden and fellowship with God, our sight and our freedom, the protection of the fold, an important day's wages, our integrity and our dignity. Look in verse 14. After he had spent everything, and we will, it comes to an end. The, the benefit that we see in sin, it comes to an end. It eventually runs out. That's what Satan designs for it. It's going to run out. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. You have to understand, in this culture, to a Jew, that would have been the, the lowest of things that he could have been, been doing. Feeding the pigs, an unclean animal to them. He sent him to his field to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Certainly, that's one of the things that Jesus wanted them to understand the problem of sin, that it, it just is never by accident, and that it will take everything from us. It'll take everything. But that's not all. He also wanted them 
to understand the reality of repentance. Where there is sin, repentance is needed, and God is always involved in it. God's always involved in our repentance. We'll come to that in just a minute. But this is sometimes, again, even when we come to sin, this is something that we want to skimp on. But he wanted them to understand the reality of repentance. Look in verse 17. When he came to his senses, and just like when we go into sin, coming back to the Father has the same process. It starts in our minds. It starts in our minds, moves to our hearts, comes out in the practice. Exact same process. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to the Father. Now on the surface, at the beginning, it might not even seem like much of repentance. Okay, on the surface at the beginning, it sounds like he's just taking stock of a situation, which he did very accurately. He took stock of his situation. It almost feels like it's just a, just a business decision, you know. I'm looking, saying, what on earth am I doing here? What have I gotten myself into? I was better off back here. And sometimes, sometimes that is just enough to get us started, to get us started on our way back home. I mean, who do you think it is that arranges the circumstances? Who, who do you think it is that uses the circumstances that we get ourselves into? See, Satan thinks that he's tricking us. He says, I'm going I'm to overpromise, underdeliver. I, I'm going to offer them this thing that looks really attractive, looks like it has all these benefits to, to it, and then when they get into it, then I'm going to pull the rug out from under them. And that's a lot of times what happens. But then God begins to use that thing. And in reality, oftentimes, that's the very thing that God uses to wake us up. And the moment that we come to our senses and say, what am I doing here? Look at what sin has done to me. I was better off back home. God says, yes, I've got him right where I want him. I've got him right where I want him, that he begins to see this thing. There's a theological term, not to get too doctrinal and everything on, on us, but there's a theological term, and I've mentioned this before in Sunday school classes, prevenient grace, and it simply means this. There is nowhere, nowhere that I have been in my life even in my relationship, even in spiritual things, there is nowhere that I have been that God has not been there first. We can see it in a couple of scriptures that are really familiar to us. Uh, in, in our beginning, in, in putting our faith in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What? What not of ourselves? Our faith. Our very ability to put our trust in God comes from God. 
He says, even that faith, that ability to trust in God, it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's a gift from God. It's not from works. It's not something that we can come and say, yeah, man, look at me, how great I am. Man, I was smart. I was smart enough to figure this out and put my, you know, put my, my money where the, the right thing is. I was smart enough to put my trust. No, even the ability to come to God at the beginning is a gift from God, not of works so that no one can boast. And then again, uh, and I believe uh, Pastor Sam mentioned this just a few weeks ago uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you, God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. We understand that, that we need God's help in, in carrying out the, the Christian life, in, in living holy lives and living for God. We understand that. I get that. I say, there's no way I can do this thing on my own. I understand that. But he says to even have the commitment for that, that is something that God works in our heart. There is no place that we have ever been that God was not there first. And so God comes even in these circumstances before we have made our decision, before we have even taken stock of our situation, God is involved in this, bringing bringing to our minds, look at where I'm at. Look at what sin has done to me. Listen to his follow-through then in the repentance. In verse 18, he says, I will set... First, he came to his senses. Then in verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him. And this is is the repentance part. He says, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. An acknowledgement of what he has done. An acknowledgement of what he has done. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. An acknowledgement that he doesn't deserve this. Because sometimes we can come at forgiveness, can't we? We, we can come at this, this thing of repentance saying, well, yeah, well, if I, if I say I'm sorry, you, you're responsible to... I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve grace. He comes and he says, quite honestly, I'm not worthy. I am, on my own, I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went back to his father. That is the essence of repentance. It's a 180-degree turn. It means I'm going this direction, and I turn around, and now I'm going this direction. That's what repentance is. Uh, Again, I I appreciate, Matt, what you said about uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, because in uh, one of his books, uh, Mere Christianity, he has a wonderful take on this. He says repentance isn't something so much that God demands before he will take us back and he could let us off if we like. It's simply a description of what coming back is. And what is it that Scripture says? It is with the heart that we believe and are justified. And it is with the mouth that we confess and are saved. It's simply a description of what coming back is. We can't avoid this part. So now, here's the really good part. Here's the really good part. The third thing Jesus wants both groups to understand is the completeness of forgiveness. And this is where the 
the Pharisees really struggle in this whole picture in the last two sections. Jesus wants them to understand the completeness of forgiveness, that it leads to reconciliation, and that everyone, everyone is involved. Look in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And then it's like there's this pause, and, and the father waits. The father was looking. Again, the father is involved in this whole thing. And he has been out there just looking and just waiting and waiting and waiting for the smallest glimmer of the sun to return. And as soon as he sees it, he's off. And he embraces his son and he's kissing his son, but then he, it's like he steps back and he waits. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And here he cuts him off. Here he cuts him off. The truth is, though, no one would have blamed the father. No one would have blamed the father if he had treated him like a hired hand. If he had gone the whole, with the whole confession, with the whole repentance, nobody would have blamed the father if he had said, look, fine, I will, I will take you back as a hired hand, yes. I'll provide simple food. I'll provide simple clothing for you. And uh, the foreman here, he'll show you where to drop your things. I'll check on you a little bit later on in the field. No one would have blamed the father if he had come that route. And often we wouldn't have blamed the father because, quite honestly, that's how we would have done it. Quite honestly, sometimes in my heart, in my mind, that's how I would have done it. And please don't misunderstand. It's not minimizing the sin. Yes, sin will oftentimes leave scars on us that are deep scars and that are there the rest of our life. Sometimes there are consequences to our sin that follow us for a long, long time. Sometimes we need to gain, to regain parameters. But, but please understand this, that forgiveness is complete. It leads to reconciliation. The father has no intention of making the son a hired servant. He waits. He does wait. Because sometimes we can come to this passage and say, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, he didn't even wait for, his, for him to repent, to, to ask forgiveness. Yes, he did. He stood back. He waited. He wanted to see the heart. He wanted to give the son the opportunity to repent. The son does that, and immediately he cuts him off. And he says, the father, in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found, is found. So they began to celebrate. In the act of repenting, God is involved. It's me and him. 
and he may direct as well sometimes my repentance to someone else that I have hurt, someone else that I have sinned against. But in repentance, God is involved. But in the act of forgiveness and restoring, in the act of reconciliation, he says, I want you all to be involved in it. I want you all to be celebrating in it. Sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes that's just so hard for us. And that brings us to the real picture of the, the second son, the religious son. Jesus wants particularly the religious leaders to understand God's perspective. That a person can be lost even if they don't look lost. They can be lost even if they don't look lost. And even with them, while yes, God wants and even requires obedience, he longs, he longs for relationship. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he calls one of the servants, asks him what was going on. Oh, your brother's come back, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother becomes angry and refused to go in. Became angry and refused to go in. And I love this. So his father went out and pleaded with him. The father goes out to this son too. He went out to the first son, met him on the road, goes out to this son too. See, the Pharisees wanted to snub the sinners. And, and we can come sometimes to that point too. We say, hey, look, they're, they're, just, they're getting what they deserve. They're reaping what they sowed. And while that is honestly true, that's not how God approaches us. Aren't you glad for that? that God comes and he says, I do not treat you the way your sins deserve. Because quite honestly, that is what our sins deserve. But I love this. The Father goes out. Sometimes we can want to snub the sinners too, but it works the other way as well. We can also want to snub the Pharisee. Again, no one would have blamed the Father if when the servant came back in and said, yeah, He's, he's mad. He's not coming in, you know, because he's mad about what the son did. He's mad that you're celebrating with him, and he's just not going to be a part of it. No one would have blamed the father. Because, again, a lot of times it's what we would do. If the father had simply said, all right, all right, he knows where we're at. When he's ready, he can come in. If he wants to stay out there and pout, he can stay out there and pout. If he wants to act like this, he can do that. No one would have blamed the father if he had said that. But he didn't. He didn't. The father isn't going to do that with this son either. And so he goes out to, he goes out to, to this son too. He goes out and he pleads with him. But the son, he answers his father. He says, look, all these years... I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, and you, in all those years, you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate 
with my friends. But now, here, now, when this son of yours, and see how he, how he comes to this, he will not even acknowledge that it's his brother. When this son of yours has gone off, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. I want to share a story with you from my experience. And uh, with this, we'll close. Back more years than I care to admit, uh, when, I was, when I was in college, <clears throat> I was uh, over spring break, I was going out with the missions and review uh, group uh, on, on the breaks. We had a, a group that was drama and singing and we would go out to a lot of the Alliance churches and uh, we would do presentations to help raise money for missions. And so <clears throat> I was, on, I was uh, with that group and there was another gentleman that was another uh, man that was with the, the group and man, just the things that, he, the direction he was going in his words and you could see from that from his, in his mind and in his heart Everything was off. Everything was going away from God instead of to God. And I even went, uh, I went to, the, to the leader of the group and I expressed my concern about it. And, and he understood. He said, I understand. He said, I'm really praying that God will use this to bring him back uh, and to, and to uh, bring him back towards God. And it was interesting later on, uh, before while we were on the tour the one time, we both ended up in using the, the men's restroom. We were washing up at the sink. And he turned to me and he said, he said, Bruce, he said, you need to understand. He said, theologically, doctrinally, I'm as conservative as you are, maybe even more so. He said, I might even be more conservative in my doctrine and in my theology than you are. He said, the difference between me, is, me and you is that you have the courage of your convictions and I do not. I said, okay. Jump again a lot of years forward. And uh, was visiting in a church uh, one time and I looked and there's a copy of the Alliance Life there. Here's my friend. <laughs> Here's this guy from college. And he has a large ministry in our denomination that God has been blessing and that God has been using. You know, my first reaction was, man, that is so fantastic. I wish that was my first reaction. But I got to be honest with you. For a moment, and, and it was only for a moment, but in my mind, my first reaction was, seriously? Seriously? What are you thinking? I, I mean, you know, I, I've never had that kind of ministry. And here, here is this guy that I know what he's like. And God brought to my mind this passage. And he brought me back to this place of saying, God, you know, I do thank you. I do thank you. 
Because if you can do that, I know what this heart was like. And if you can do this in his heart, you can do this in my heart. You can do this thing in my heart. It's a familiar story. This afternoon, um, I do, I, I, I'm able to do uh, services over at the Waterford. I work over at the Waterford, and every other Sunday I'm able to do services over there. And this afternoon, we're going to be starting a series on Second Peter, and in that letter, Peter says, I, it is good for me to remind you. It's good for me to remind you of these things that you already know and you're already strong in and you're already practicing. And that's what I feel like coming to this. It's a familiar story and it's good to be reminded of the things that we already know and that we're already doing. The problem of sin, the reality of repentance, the completeness of forgiveness, and the perspective of, of the Father, the perspective of God. I didn't really know how to end this, uh, to be honest. Because Jesus doesn't really end the story. It just kind of stops. And he never does tell us what the second son did. We don't know. Did he, did he turn? Did he come in? Did he repent? We don't know. Never tells us. So I, I want to just end uh, how Pastor Sam often does for us with three things that I would like you uh, to do. First, uh, over this week, uh, if you would read Psalm 139, uh, where it just, again, it reminds us, there is nowhere I can go from you. There is nowhere that I can get, that I can go, no circumstance that I am in, that you are not there, that you are not there with me. And 2 Corinthians 5 talks to us specific, specifically as a church about our ministry of reconciliation, that this is the, the ministry that God has given to us of reconciling, of bringing people back to God and celebrating when they, when they come back to God. To do, uh, I would like to ask you to just set aside time this week to specifically reflect, if you know Jesus Christ, specifically reflect on the beginning of your relationship with God because we can, we can just, we can just begin to move away from it slowly, slowly, slowly. Reflect on the beginning of your relationship with God and then pray. Uh, for yourself, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, your prayer might sound something like the first son's. God, I'm looking at my life and it's a mess. I am not in a good place. And I have sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. And, and I need your grace. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. That may be your prayer. If you are and you hear and you do know Christ, pray that uh, for yourself that you would embrace again being God's child with all that that means. It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And for our church, pray that we will always be people who will celebrate repentance, who will really, really celebrate when people come back to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Sometimes we just get lost in sin. And you are there waiting, waiting to welcome us back. Sometimes we seem to be right next door. 
we seem to be right there, and we've still lost the perspective. We've still lost sight of our relationship with you and not responding right. Father, I pray today that you would bring us back to you. Where we have gone off, bring us back to you and help us to be a, a church family that celebrates when the sinner repents. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.